guys, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate investment or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, behavior, to take control of those thoughts of yours, your emotions, and of course, most importantly, your ego. So guys, here we are on episode number 45. Last week, I was speaking with Mr. Michael Grant of Metricus and Aerated about smart buildings and indoor quality. And this week, I'm going to talk to you guys about the growth of impact investing and more uh, specifically ESG and how important it is and how I believe it's going to affect you guys, the improperty investors. So Important to point out, I believe this is going to impact pretty much everyone from the first time buyer and the buy to let investor all the way up to the big guys running REITs and large funds. But it's going to take some time for it to kind of trickle down. So I'm going to get into that today. Just thought it was a topic that um, is kind of relevant because it's actually starting to come into stuff that I'm dealing with on a day to day basis. And in the last two days, I spent a good 45 minutes, I suppose, speaking to a guy who was the head of ESG at one of the big real estate advisory firms that we use here in East Point. And um, he was talking to us just about, you know, the one of his colleagues was doing a valuation exercise and they needed to input the ESG kind of policy and strategy and stuff that we have here. And so thankfully, I actually stay informed in all this kind of stuff because I can tell you, I'm pretty sure that there's a good percentage of my peers out there who would really have no clue about a lot of this kind of stuff. And so I just thought, you know, I don't want my listeners to be caught out by anything like this. And so I thought maybe it would be helpful for you guys just to get a little bit of an update on what is ESG? Why is ESG so important to investors? Who is this currently impacting at the moment versus what it will happen in, in, the, in the coming years? And where is all of this going? And uh, I guess I'll just go into the, maybe the little difference between impact investing and ESG, because the two of them are often con, um, confused. So first of all, let's get into the, what does ESG actually stand for? So ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. And uh, by environmental, they're really referring to sustainability and climate change. By social, they're referring to social responsibility. And you'll often hear firms talking about their corporate social responsibility. And then finally, we're into governance. And governance is what they mean is corporate governance and, um, you know, all the areas around corruption and uh, shareholder structures and things like that. And whilst I'm hearing an awful lot about this in the last 12 months, it's actually been around for 16 years now, believe it or not. And if you go back to 2004, the UN Secretary General Kofi Annan, that's a name I haven't heard from a while, for a while, but it is a name I can remember. He was always out talking to him on the TV and stuff. And he wrote a letter to 55 different CEOs at all of the, you know, in the world's leading financial institutions at the time. And he invited them to participate in a new initiative that he was launching to help bridge the gap between priorities that investors have and the wider societal kind of priorities that mankind has in the areas of environmental, social and governance. Um, and so this is 
what kind of sparked this entire kind of movement, I suppose you could call it. And the group of 55 companies that signed this letter um, went on to become what's now known as the UN Principles for Responsible Investment. And I'll actually put a link to the website and the show notes. But if you go and um, if you want to just understand what, you know, each of those are, obviously climate change, sustainability, you know, you're into lower emissions, recycling, energy efficiency, carbon, you know, footprint, power generation, fossil fuels, better insulation standards, all of that stuff is kind of obvious. Social responsibility is, is a little bit harder to define, but really you're getting into employee health and well-being, you're getting into employee safety, data, security and privacy, racial equality, diversity, civil rights, labor conditions, and actually boardroom composition is a big thing because people are starting now to look at the way a board is composed and whether there's a balance of male to females or even racially um, the, the diversity of the board and whether there's enough, you know, whites to blacks and all of that kind of stuff is starting to kind of come into focus. And on the corporate governance side, you've obviously got co- corruption and money laundering, but you've also got shareholder rights and the structures and reporting standards and how conflict of conflicts of interest are managed. Um, and the six principles that these guys all signed up to, they were basically, well, I'll read them out. I'll read out the six principles. The six principles were, number one, was that ESG issues will be incorporated into investment analysis and decision-making processes, i.e. to buy or not to buy will be part of the decision-making. Um, number two was that we the, the signatories will become active owners uh, or shareholders who will incorporate ESG into their into their ownership policies. So by that, they, they're going to kind of put pressure on the companies that they invest in and they'll hold or not hold onto those shares based on the performance. They'll also seek, number three, appropriate disclosures on ESG issues from the companies that they invest in. So reporting is obviously important. And number four, they'll promote acceptance and implementation of these principles across the industry. So, you know, spread the good word and get it out there and make sure that other people sign up. Um, Number five, the signatories will work towards enhancing um, the effectiveness in implementing all of this. So they just want the industry to kind of work together on this. And finally, number six, that they will actually report on their own activities and progress annually. So every year, these 55 companies committed to reporting on how they were doing. And what's actually happened in the intervening 16 years is it has grown to now 2,900 signatures. But you've got to understand the 2,900 that have signed this are massive multinational companies that basically dominate the investment horizon. So anybody who's looking for money from anywhere, this is going to start to become a, a major focus now. And so it's becoming quite a serious topic. And I, I can certainly see every single document kind of I'm that I have, I'm being asked to contribute to these days has an ESG section in it and they're looking for you know strategy or they're looking for policy and they just they're they're asking questions and if you don't have the answers then they're kind of looking at you as if 
you're not, you know, you're not with the program. You're you're kind of falling behind. And are they dealing with a bit of a dinosaur? So it's it's important to be able to walk, you know, to talk the talk, whatever about walking the walk. And that's something I'm going to get into in a little bit. But what's really made this suddenly all the rage and everyone's starting to kind of take notice is down to the, a letter that one man, the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink is his name. And BlackRock, to anyone who doesn't know, is the largest investment firm in the world. And it has literally trillions under management. And it's, it's an absolute behemoth of a, a company. And 18 months ago or thereabouts, Larry Fink wrote this letter. Every year he puts a letter out to his um, to all these CEOs and into his investors and stuff. And the letter came out. It just completely stunned Wall Street. And they were not expecting this at all. And one of the sort of the, the most stunning passage in the letter was that climate change has become a defining factor in companies' long-term prospects. And that, in other words, you know, if you, uh, you know, cause any kind of climate harm, then your days are numbered, essentially. And when people heard this, they kind of suddenly, like, were taken aback because prior to this, a lot of people in these big firms didn't really, you know, they might have paid, you know, paid it some lip service, but they weren't, you know, saying things like that your your actual days are numbered if you continue to behave this way. And you can see how it's impacting a lot of the, the biggest companies out there. I mean, just have a look at Apple every year, you know, every six months or so. Tim Cook and all of his team get up on stage and they kind of show the, the latest iPhone and all that. But, you know, it's pretty clear to me that they take this whole zero emissions and carbon footprint very seriously because they're constantly talking about, you know, the fact that the phone is made from so many recycled you know, products, that their headquarters is, you know, solar powered and that, you know, the their entire supply chain now is, you know, zero carbon and, you know, uh, it's all, they get all of their power from renewables and stuff. So that's, you know, Apple obviously, and, but they're trickling down all of their kind of, you know, goodwill and stuff is noticed by their competitors and people below them. And they all start to kind of mimic this. And so you're starting to see it. Also, if you look at the car industry, Tesla uh, is outperforming every other car company in the world at the moment. Um, primarily because it's, you know, it's a zero emissions uh, company. And uh, also the big, even the supercar companies like Ferrari and Porsche and stuff are bringing out electric versions of their sports cars. And, you know, zero emissions is all the rage. So just bear in mind, as a real estate investor, you are sitting uh, in an industry that contributes to 40% of all global greenhouse, greenhouse gas emissions. And so I think that puts a pretty big target on our collective backs. And if Larry Fink is thinking about this and he's like the biggest, the, the, the top dog in the investment world, then think about all the guys that are down below that, that are thinking about suddenly they've been told that, you know, climate change is the defining factor in a company's long term prospects. How does that make your business look or your assets look? in the eyes of investors if they're thinking like this guy is thinking. So he, one of the things that he said was markets to date have been very slow to reflect on this. However, 
awareness is rapidly changing. And he, and he said this, well, he used the word I, and I believe we are at, on the edge of a fundamental shape, reshaping of finance. And so, I mean, that's a pretty big statement for coming from a guy like that, you know, a fundamental reshaping of finance. So you just got to kind of question, what does that mean to you? And I know a lot of people are, you know, they're only at the point where they're starting out. And or you might be, you know, you, you just invest in HMOs or single family units or multifamily units, whatever it is that you do, buy to let. Um, you know, you, you might do the BRRR strategy or you might, you know, look just to flip and stuff. But it's going to become increasingly looked at by investors and by banks what the performance of your um, of your assets are. And um, and he sort of said, finally, that we believe sustainable investing is the strongest foundation for client portfolios going forward. So obviously, th those statements just completely shocked the market and everyone suddenly sat up and took notice. And why? So next point, next thing to kind of cover is why is this important to us as real estate investors? If you consider the source of the money that we're all needing to, to buy our properties, and if you consider that all of these banks that are funded by these major investment firms. I mean, none of the major banks in the world are just stand there without shareholders. Every one of them have major, major shareholders like BlackRock on their board. So if BlackRock are on their board and one of the, or, or if any of the other 2,900 um, big investors that are out there who have signed this letter, if they are sitting on your board of directors and if this is what they're looking at then it's going to trickle down and the decision making you know the credit committees and all of that kind of stuff they're all going to start looking at this with more and more interest and if ESG is you know on their minds then it's, it should be on our minds too it stands to reason that they could start analyzing the loans that they're giving out and I've noticed, actually, the last time I, I, I picked up a, a mortgage pamphlet recently in one of the banks here in Ireland, and it's actually offering a better rate if you're buying a home with a, an energy rating of, I think it's B plus or something like that. Um, I don't know what standards you might have if you're listening in another country, but we have, you know, the best is A plus and then there's A and then there's A minus and whatever. And it goes down all the way down to G, I think, for, you know, old kind of 1920s buildings that have very poor insulation or whatever. And um, if, you're, if you're buying one of the newer houses nowadays, they come with an A rating and uh, you, can, you can save probably a couple of hundred um, pounds or euros or dollars, whatever it is. You can probably save quite a bit every year just because you've bought a more energy efficient house. And that's just on your borrowing costs. You're also obviously going to save money on the amount that you spend on electricity and heating and all of those things. So if you're a simple buy-to-let investor, if you only invest in HMOs or whatever it is, why would this concern you? Well, it's that trickle-down effect that I'm talking about. And I'm seeing it here in the business park, East Point, that I run is, is that initially the only firms that were looking at this were big, big firms, um, you know, multinationals with headquarters in the US and stuff. And all of a sudden I'm seeing smaller firms that are not headquartered in the US that are that are run by, say, Irish management for, uh, you know, um, boards and stuff. 
they are starting to ask for the same information. And they're asking, can, you know, can I give them more information on their, where, how their power, where their power is coming from? So the electricity, how it's being generated, is it coming from renewable or is it coming from uh, coal-fired? Uh, and, and I have to go off and I have to speak to the electrical companies for this information. Then they're looking for information on how their waste is being handled, how much of their waste is going into landfill, how much is going to be recycled. All of this is starting to filter down. And the reason that these guys are suddenly asking for this is because their investors are asking for it. And if you're, you know, if, if you're basically putting out a set of financial statements nowadays, you'll have a section on ESG and you'll have to be able to report on how you're doing. And a lot of companies, anyway, I'll get into some of that in a little bit, but it's, it's just, it's starting to trickle down. And, you, you know, no matter how small you are, this is going to become a major part of the, um, of the industry. And so you just have to start to pay attention to it now because there'll be a point in the future where tenants will be ruling out moving into buildings based on the energy rating. And that, that might be on commercial buildings. You might have, you know, certain departments of the government are already not moving into uh, buildings that have an energy rating below a certain level. And uh, at some point in the future, it could trickle down to that you're being forced to upgrade your buildings to, to bring them up to a certain standard in order for you to qualify for lower tax rates or something like that, or property taxes or whatever it is. So I think it's something that we all need to pay attention to. So question is, what if you were told, here's a question for you all, what if you were told next year that all the oil or gas fired central heating systems that you have in your properties had to be replaced by lower emission versions. Like, could you afford that? Do you have a, you know, a, a, a sort of fund or a, what we call a sinking fund? Do you have a fund put aside for that cost? Because that is a possible cost that you're going to have to bear in the next couple of years. I already know here in Ireland that I think it's in two years' time they are going to outlaw the sale of gas-fired central heating systems um, or oil-fired. I, I can't remember. I have to read up on the exact details, but I know that oil-fired central heating is being outlawed two years before gas-fired central heating, and then there's going to be this period of about 10 years when they will, you'll, be, you'll, con, you'll be allowed to service your radiators uh, or your central heating systems, but after that 10-year period is up, there will be no servicing allowed, and so you will have to basically replace them. So there's a there's a big cost coming down the road, and I know there's government plans to kind of issue grants and stuff, but I think part of what that is is that it's very unpopular otherwise. Uh, but the reality is is that as more and more young millennials and stuff start to buy property, I think they'll be looking at this differently to how the older generations look at it. And so um, this could well filter into pretty much a decision making around buying and stuff. So who is this impacting the most at the moment? Well, obviously, as I've mentioned, the big firms, because they're trying to attract the big investors. And there is a thing called greenwashing that has been going on for the last while. And that is where the big firms 
they, you know, they suddenly think, geez, we want to make ourselves look as attractive as possible to the big investors. So let's go and launch a big marketing campaign promoting how green we are and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, sure enough, a lot of companies have gone out and done that. And ESG investing is growing every year. In, in 2020, in the first quarter, in the first three months of 2020, $45 billion was invested in ESG stocks. But the firms that are being invested in now are being really heavily scrutinized to make sure that it's not just, you know, guys talking the talk and not walking the walk. And sure enough, the biggest example of this being the case is the Volkswagen scandal um, in the last couple of years where they were letting on that their diesel cars were really green when in fact they they had this software that was tricking the testing um, equipment and so that went on to cost Volkswagen more than 20 billion in um, I mean I think they there was a certain amount in fines but there was also they had to recall cars and change and upgrade software and all sorts of stuff so and that's that's just the environmental side it's not just environmental you know the ESG the social side the S in in ESG refers to social and what's really been become quite noticeable in the last 12 months is um, in America last year with the killing of George Floyd and it, which sparked all of those uh, great protests all around the world for Black Lives Matter. Um, that whole thing caused a lot of big firms to start launching big campaigns about how they s- supported uh, Black Lives Matter. And it was it was all the kind of rage they were, you know, I can remember seeing in Instagram, there was all of the um, the posts were all going black and they had BLM and all this kind of stuff written on it. But those were also being highly scrutinized by the market. And um, what you actually had was the hashtag uh, open your purse started to trend because it's all fine to go and say all this. But are you actually financially supporting this cause? And even uh, even Nike, uh, Nike got called out because they were talking about how they supported, you know, inclusion and diversity and all this. But people had a look at their boardroom and their senior management structure and said, hold on a second. I mean, it's it's like 90 percent white guys. Um, and, and, you know, if you look across America in general, it's kind of like 40 percent as opposed to 90 percent or wh- whatever way it, it's structured. There is a. Um, it, it wasn't reflective of the actual population, which is the way it, it's supposed to, um, for this to work. And so it's starting to impact across all businesses, including even governance. If you, if you take a, a little think back to WeWork, the IPO um, failure a couple of, well, let's see, it's about a year ago now, or a little bit, maybe 18 months ago, when they released their documents on, I think they called it the S1, that went out to announce their their plans to launch an IPO. The shareholder structure was just a complete joke and they got absolutely called out for it. And Adam Newman and his wife had almost total control over the board and in the effect in the in, in the event that Adam Newman was, you know, in, incapacitated or killed or whatever it is, his wife, even though she wasn't a board member, his wife had a veto over her, his replacement. 
and all of this kind of stuff. And that's just a great example of governance failure. Um, when a company introduces those kind of things and closer to home, there has been, um, here in Ireland, there has been a big scandal recently involving a company called Davy, where the senior management all took the opposite of a trade against their clients. And so there was a, an absolute conflict of interest and nobody stopped it from happening. The, the, the board of all now had to resign. And so it's a big scandal, but that is another example of governance. So E, environmental, social, and governance, ESG. That's where the big move is now. And the focus is shifting away from big investors to society in general. There has been a, a big interest in ESG from millennials. They say that 87% of millennials are considering investing in stocks that have ESG credentials. And they said that 64% of women in general who, who make a lot of the investment decisions in households these days, women are 64% uh, more likely to invest in ESG-related stocks, and also high net worth individuals are also very high up on that list. So where is all of this going? At the moment, there is no single ESG standards in place. So it's a big mishmash out there, and that is something at the moment that makes this a little bit more difficult. So there's no clear roadmap. If you want to kind of improve the ESG of your business or your portfolio or whatever, it's not clear what you know, what you have to do first. Um, but I think that's just a matter of time. There's a, there's a big firm, a big investment firm out there called MSCI, and they are a firm that kind of does ratings and tracking of companies. And they are now tracking 8,500 stock exchange listed companies, and they are rating each of them for ESG. And um, one of their funds actually has outperformed the the market by 4% in the last year. So they estimate that $80 trillion will be made or inherited by millennials over the next couple of decades. And if you think about that in, in terms of size, that's four times larger than the US, US stock market at the moment. So huge amount of money about to come into the, um, just being made by the system and come into the system that'll be under the control of millennials. And if 87% of them are focused on ESG-related um, benefits, then I think it's clear to say that they're going to be looking at how assets are you know, de developed, designed, you know, the format of a property, its energy rating, all of that stuff is going to become part of it because people do not want to be contributing to climate change and global warming and all that kind of stuff and so i do think that that trickle down is what, what's going to really start to become obvious to everybody and whereas at the moment it's the big firms and because i interact with the big firms i'm seeing it first but i just know from previous experience that this is the kind of thing that a couple of years from now everybody is going to be talking about this and i just think that when i say everybody i mean Banks, lenders, building regulations, local authorities, planners, county councils, city councils, municipalities, you know, everyone's going to be looking at this and everyone's going to be involved in the rating of it or the, you know, the regulation of it or whatever it is. So 
your assets and your business are going to be scrutinized for all this stuff. And I just think that you you want to be the person who's leading the charge in this regard rather than who's on the back foot and who is just, you know, trying to catch up. Um, it's It's like technology. So many firms out there, so many sort of solicitors firms and uh, estate agents firms out there that did not think about technology and innovation. And if you look at, you know, financial companies like Revolut, they are eating the, you know, the lunch of all of the big banks and stuff. Like FinTech has just passed out so many of the big banks and PropTech is, is doing the same. And sustainability is another area now. So this whole ESG thing around sustainability I think that is going to become a driving force. And if you're on the back foot, you're going to be like these firms that were kind of caught sleeping at the wheel. And along comes smaller, more nimble firms that are sort of full of innovation and technology and stuff. And they got out in front of you and then you can't catch them. And it's much the way, if you look at the Tesla now, everyone was kind of ignoring Tesla for years and big investors were sort of shorting their stock and all of this. And all of a sudden, Tesla is the most valuable company in the world. Uh, sorry, the most valuable car company in the world. And, you know, a lot of, okay, a lot of people will say, well, how long will that last? But at the moment, that is the case. They are out there and they are so far ahead of the competition because they've been doing this innovation, in electric cars and automation, you know, driver autonomous cars, all of that stuff. They are now so far ahead of everyone and so i think there's an opportunity here for us uh, you know as investors to be looking into this now and just making sure that we understand it at a kind of a much much more detailed level than the rest of the market understand what it costs to do this stuff understand if there are grants that you can do to kind of reduce the cost understand so that you're able to you know, add it into your marketing. So if you're talking to investors or if you're talking to tenants, if you're trying to attract tenants into your building, that this is all part of your, you know, your arsenal of marketing weapons that you're able to use to kind of draw them in. And when you're able to present this stuff in, in as part of your marketing, you know, output or your collateral, uh, and somebody else is trying to market their building or their, you know, unit or whatever it is that they've got to rent out and they don't have any of this stuff there, then it's going to be a little tick against them. And uh, and I think that's just the way it's going to be going. So just to finish up, um, I thought I'd just mention that, you know, ESG investing and impact investing, they are slightly different. And this can be confusing because they're very, very similar, but there is a thing called social responsible socially responsible investing and that is where you would not invest in a business if it engaged in say the sale or manufacture of tobacco or the sale or manufacture of weapons like arms um, or missiles or any of that kind of stuff and that is also now today extending to the sale and extraction of fossil fuels and I saw something very very similar when I was living in the Middle East there, there was um, whenever I went to speak to uh, the local kind of investors. I went to the Middle East back in 2010 or thereabouts because we were in this massive recession around the world and the banks were no longer lending. So it was impossible to get money from the banks. And so who had money? Well, it was well known that 
Middle Eastern investors had tons of money because it was coming from oil and gas and stuff. So I made a beeline straight to Dubai. I lived there for a couple of years and I was living in Doha and Qatar as well. And I found out that those guys have a thing called Sharia compliance funds. And um, if you wanted to, you know, draw these guys into as investors in your in your scheme or in your portfolio or whatever it is, you had to make sure that there was no alcohol being sold in it, that there was no gambling and that there was no lending taking place. And they were quite some of them could be quite strict about this. You would find that, for example, if you owned any hotels or if you owned any bars inside your hotels or if you owned, say, retail units that sold alcohol in an off license, that would be enough for them to walk away from investing. Um, now, gambling is the same. If you owned a unit that had a, a bookies that took money for the horse racing or whatever it is, there's another reason for them not to invest. And then finally, if you were renting to banks instead of traditional banks that lent money, that was considered a no-no to Sharia-compliant uh, banks and funds in the Middle East. So it made it quite limiting, and, and that is something that is also starting to become the case now with social responsible investing. They, you know, they've ruled out certain industries that they will not invest in. ESG is slightly different insofar as it's, it's taking the rating, and if you're looking at, say, a mining company, they will rate the mining company for issues that are more prevalent for that company. So, for example, your carbon emissions and your, you know, the damage that you do to the environment will be of a focus. Also, the safety of the of the workers working at in a mining company, they'll all be of a major focus. Whereas if you're investing in a technology company, the ESG focus will turn to data protection and security and privacy. And, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of shifts depending on the industry. But um, definitely it's, it's going to become bigger and more important in the coming years. And um, with impact investing, it's, the focus is more on the social and environmental impact rather than you know, the, the financial consideration that you have m- making the investment. And so you're looking, to, you're looking for an investment that will actually lead to a direct positive impact in um, in the environment or socially around so anyway my final point is just to say that this is you know might seem a bit far off and might seem a bit kind of like gavin's going on a bit of a rant uh, but i do think that this is actually going to grow into something that kind of dominates the market as larry fink said it's a it's a fundamental reshaping of f- how finance is done and so if I'm seeing it in every document that I look at today, you know, every RFP, an RFP is a request for proposal. There's these RFPs coming in. And so it's, you know, the big companies that are looking for proposals for renting properties or whatever. And every single one of them has a section now on ESG policy or strategy. And if you don't have that, you're just, there's a tick missing on that box and you'll find that your building is not no longer in consideration and if that's happening with the big boys it's going to trickle down and you're going to start seeing that law firms and you know marketing firms and all of these different companies start to have the same thing because not because they care about where they're renting the building 
but because they care about the scrutiny that their investors are giving their shares. And so it starts to trickle down from the top. And so suddenly you'll find that you're not putting the attention into your own assets and how they are. Do they tick the box? Are they sustainable? Uh, are they good energy rating? Are they carbon? You know, what are the carbon emissions like? All of that is going to become very important in the coming years because that's where the money is focused on. And uh, also, finally, it's actually a big opportunity for anyone out there who's in the consulting business to pivot into consulting um, and doing this kind of stuff. There's a lot of firms out there that are going to have to transition and have to kind of understand what ESG means for them. And so I think there's an opportunity there if you are looking to start a consulting business, maybe ESG consulting. Go out there and advise firms around the world on how they can um, they can become bigger they can they can score better as an esg so look guys that's it for episode 45 of behind the facade thanks so much for listening as always my number one ask is that you guys give me a review over in itunes or whatever give it a five star rating if you can and if you can't do that maybe you just you know copy and paste it to a friend or somebody that you know that might benefit from it I'm going to put the show notes, I'm going to put a couple of links in the show notes for the things discussed today, particularly the um, that letter uh, with the principles. And you can just see the thousands of companies that have signed up to it. Um, if you have any questions or topics, as always, I'm, I'd love to hear from you. And so uh, if you have a future episode you'd like me to cover, just send me a message either through the Facebook group behind the facade community or you can reach out to me on social media using my handle, Gavin J. Gallagher. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I'm putting out the uh, videos on my YouTube channel now, Gavin J. Gallagher. So go and uh, have a look there and subscribe. And um, I'm going to start putting out sort of seven or eight minute long videos covering a lot of this kind of stuff. So please go and check it out and become a subscriber there. And finally, guys, as always, I have a email list that I'd be grateful if you would consider joining just allows me to send out information directly to your email inbox I don't spam anybody I don't think I've sent a single letter or a single email to anyone yet on the list I simply collect your emails for when I want to announce an event or if I want to tell you about my book that is coming along I'll be able to give you an update on that so sign up to the email list over at gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go all right guys that's all for now and I shall see you next week mm-hmm.